0: Hello, and welcome to IP Workshop Live. Today, we'll be going through the top 10 trends to look out for in 2024. We'll be covering the latest sneaky infringer strategies, the top marketplaces to watch, global policies, and legislation. I'm Ryan, your host for IP Workshop Live. Joining me are Susie, Alexis, and Martina. Welcome, everybody. Shall we start with some introductions?
1: Yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Susie. I'm a brand executive here at MarkVision. Um, for the past three years, I've been a um, specialist in product applications for brands, and I'm excited to share a little bit about our 2024 insights with you today.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Alexis. I'm a brand protection specialist here at Mark Vision. I help our customers craft and implement their brand protection strategy, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today.
3: Hi, everyone. I'm Martina Clocchiatti, and I am a Global Partnerships Manager here at MarkVision. Thanks, to everyone, for joining us today.
0: So, to dive in, our first trend for 2024 is the growth of live shopping. From social media platforms like TikTok, Quai Show, and Facebook, to online marketplaces like Amazon, Taobao, and Hongshu. live stream shopping channels have grown rapidly in recent years and pose significant challenges to brand protection efforts. Uh, Susie, why don't you kick us off?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, I think a lot of um, with the rise of TikTok, with rises of, you know, video platforms in general, a lot of people are moving over from, um, you know, static content to live content and social selling, um, which you've already known for the past year. Um, But it's opening up new paths for counterfeiters. And because, you know, live streaming is such an ephemeral um, situation, right? It comes up and then it goes away. It's really hard to capture and enforce um, the the ways um, of doing that and the technology required to um, accomplish this is needing to get far more sophisticated um, in order for us to effectively get to the bottom of counterfeiters on live shopping. Yeah, there's
2: also a distinction that we can make between pure live video shopping, where it's like an auction style event that has been very popular in China for quite some time and more recently in the U.S. as well on the platform, whatnot. And then um, there's also uh, live promotion events, which is gaining popularity on TikTok, where the live shopping event is used to drive traffic. To an existing online storefront, As Susie said, for the live, the real-time live auction events enforcement can be challenging, and the technology needed to monitor that is needs to be developed further. Um, but on the type of live shopping where. Um, It's driving traffic to an existing storefront uh, that's very much currently addressable. And an example of this, which we'll get into later as well, is on TikTok shop, where there's live um, promotion events that are driving traffic to and promoting listings on TikTok shop.
3: I agree, Alexis. And I think there is another trend we're seeing, which is the three-second shopping format, um, where items are literally being shown for a few seconds as you can see here and then the seller is moving on to the next product and of course monitoring and removal of infringements in these cases can be quite challenging but for example doing has been taking um, several steps to tackle this quick introduction sales of course counterfeiters will always try to find workarounds so It's very important to make sure that we communicate with platforms directly about the seller's behaviors and patterns to make sure that they can develop their own effective moderation controls to tackle this issue.
0: Yeah, I think as well with them being live, it just really means that brands have to be kind of constantly vigilant with these fakes. There's no sort of permanent video that you can go see. You kind of need to be there and report things as you're seeing them a lot of the time. So our second trend is impersonating sites and what we're calling desktop cloaking. These pages have been around for a long time, but this new strategy for resisting IP enforcement has come to the fore, this uh, desktop cloaking. Uh, Alexis, could you talk us through this a bit?
2: Yes, definitely. We've seen an increase in this type of impersonation website where the content is completely different on mobile devices and desktop, and the infringing content can only be seen on uh, the mobile phone. Um, so the behavior that we've seen is that we've we've been seeing a lot of this type of website advertised uh, on Instagram, for example, specifically targeting mobile users. And the ads that they will put up um, mimic ads of brands themselves, and oftentimes we see too good to be true deals, um, you know, outlet sales, Black Friday sales, hard to get products that they're advertising. And then, um, yes, yeah, so like as you can see here in the graphic, uh, it's totally different on the what you what you can see on the desktop. And then a lot of times as well, the, the domains used will be a, a jumbled mix of letters, uh, not really any relevant keywords to the, the brands or products themselves. Um, these domains are very cheap to purchase and they're very easy to uh, quickly stand up as well. And this is a method that we're seeing these, these domain owners use to try to get around enforcement
1: um one thing i will say is you know when it comes to enforcement there are a couple of complexities but kind of to martina's point from the previous um conversation this is obviously like an evolving um trend and it's important that you know other uh third parties that are involved in taking down impersonation websites are aware of this because kind of for there's no right like that people um working at brands or even um the people who are out that are um at the other end, um, trying to take action against them, platform owners. Um, those people um, are checking on desktop. And so to be concealed um, is is pretty easy if it's on mobile. Um, and it, it touches on this idea and this shift that a lot of shopping is being done on mobile. And it's going to continue to be done this way um, going forward.
0: Thank you. Uh, next up, our third trend is one that's been receiving I think a lot of media attention in recent months uh, deep fakes so if you're not familiar with the name deep fakes are AI edited photos and videos which can quickly create pretty high quality impersonations of people um, so a number of celebrities in recent years have been targeted by these deep fakes, and I think the issue's probably only going to get worse as the technology gets better um, susie what do you what do you think of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting because, you know, right now, I think a lot of financial institutions, for example, um, deal with this this particular problem where um, there's, you know, CEOs or large figures in the finance industry who are well known um, and all over TikTok. I think I saw even the other day um, one of like Warren Buffett saying that he's giving away like you know hundreds and thousands of dollars and you should leave your bank account information um of course this is highly concerning and we would see that this there's no reason why this wouldn't um translate to counterfeiting or other kinds of infringement online um as well because you know let's just say influencers you know they're highly associated sir is promoting a fake product of a of um, the brand that they're associated with, right, then there's a greater likelihood that people would be willing to to buy into it, especially if you're having like, um, you know, a cloaked website, again, from the previous point. Um, and then you're brought to a page that looks official and authentic, um, especially on, on mobile.
2: You're right, Susie. And um, speaking to your point about using an influencer's likeliness, uh, not as extreme as deep fakes, but we've also been seeing an uptick in cases where an influencer's content of them promoting an authentic product is being used as a way to promote a, a counterfeit product or a dupe product as well um, on TikTok and other platforms.
0: Yeah, it, it's really tricky when the um, the actual person is promoting products in a legitimate way. It then becomes pretty easy to, I guess, abuse the trust that the consumers are putting in this this person to whether or not they're using deep fakes or just stealing the content to then send them to shady websites. Um, okay. And I think that rounds up our uh, strategies. So let's move on to the top marketplaces to watch in 2024. Um, so we've already mentioned this one already. So the first one is TikTok shop. Um, So we've spoken about the strategies that counterfeiters have been using on TikTok in our last episode of IP Workshop Live, but with the video sharing platform launching its own marketplace in September of last year, an increase in infringements on this channel, I think has to be expected. Uh, Alexis, do you wanna kick us off for TikTok shop?
2: Sure, definitely. I think we've really seen an increase of listings on TikTok shop, and uh, this is in part due to the uh, pretty significant promotion TikTok has been doing of TikTok shop offering different types of coupons and deals for customers to make their first time purchase on TikTok shop. Um, And also influencers on TikTok promoting different uh, TikTok shop listings, as we discussed earlier as well, really driving a lot of traffic to those listings. We're also seeing a lot of cases of TikTok shop sellers that are linked out to independent websites or storefronts on other e-commerce platforms. Um, for example, Shopify has recently developed an API for TikTok Shop as well, um, and we expect to see more, more connections between external platforms and listings on TikTok Shop.
1: Yeah, as TikTok becomes more of a growing e-commerce, and this is true for all you know social media platforms, this kind of really making that like seamless transition into shopping or shopping experience is going to become more and more common. And so the question is, you know, where, where do we want to focus our efforts? Is it um, on, on those uh, websites or is it specifically on a platform? Um, I think all of these things are good things to think about as, as we go into the new year and see kind of which trend becomes larger because, you know, and Martina is going to talk about this. Um, we have ways of working with marketplaces to take things down, but a website might be a little bit harder.
3: Yeah, agree, Susie. And I think what we've seen with TikTok is that they've been quite proactive and also very cooperative. Um, in responding to our TikTok shop's takedown notifications. So I think, of course, having the direct cooperation with the platform makes um, such a difference, especially when you have to deal with um, such high volumes that we're detecting of infringement and counterfeit selling. Um, so we can speak directly um, to the platform and make sure that our requests are prioritized, which of course really, really helps.
0: Yeah, I think they've shown overall a good motivation on their own behalf to remove their counterfeits, remove the uh, bad content from their own platform, which is definitely a good start, I think. Okay, Uh, the next marketplace that we'll be talking about is Timu. So Timu is the US-based sort of subsidiary of the Chinese Pinduoduo. The marketplace spent a lot of 2023 growing very rapidly and picking up a lot of market share, um, primarily using policies of really extremely low product pricing. Um, Susie, what are you? What are your thoughts on Timu?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know. Timu's low pricing model is very interesting because, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it's unlikely that um, there's a lot of profit going on there. So they, they are spending a lot of time, spending a lot of money on trying to acquire market share um, of a consumer base, you know, often. Even competing with other marketplaces, um, you know, for example, like the Alibaba groups market, like internationally facing um, marketplaces so that they can remain to keep their prices low. Um, and then, you know, this might change in the future, right? The prices might go up. Um, but right now, because they are operating with such policy in mind, uh, it's likely to see that a lot of counterfeiters will um, exist on those platforms because uh, prices are are lower and um, it encourages people to uh, shop at a lower price point um, and the impression that's associated with it.
2: Definitely. To your point, point Susie, on um, Timu investing heavily to grow market share in the US, they actually ran two Super Bowl ads that cost an estimated $14 million, showcasing their super low pricing. And you know, they specifically say, download the Timu app and shop like a billionaire. Um, we've also uh, seen a rise in the popularity of their affiliate program. Specifically for creators, and uh, TikTok has been flooded with Timu-related ads driven by this program. The hashtag Timu alone has over 10 billion views on TikTok, and the the program offers. Um, you know, a 5% download reward for new u- users and up to 20% commission. So it's very attractive for creators to uh, further promote Timo to their to their fans and build that trust between um, potential customers in the platform.
0: Yeah, pretty much I think all of the policies they've been implementing, deliberate or not, I think it's pretty encouraging to counterfeiters, the sort of price horsing where you know the lowest seller gets the placement, um selling things at a loss it's yeah going to be quite troubling certainly over 2024 so our sixth trend and our third marketplace is shein so over the last year shein has been rolling out its own marketplace selling third party products alongside its own items the chinese retailer has shown a ongoing willingness to disregard ip of other fashion brands and i think the launch of its online marketplaces set to make things I think worse still for legitimate brands uh Alexis what's your take on Shein
2: um Shein has been growing in popularity as well especially since their their launch of the the third-party marketplace that has um brought brand protection more into the spotlight with Shein as well um definitely for our for our customers and um of course Shein partners with influencers as well to promote their platform um also i think you know shein is it's my it's more difficult to enforce at times on shein um but we have actually you know had success cases with dmca complaints uh to um at least remove traffic to the the listings
3: Yeah, And Alexis, as you mentioned, Shane has an IP infringement reporting route, but what we've been seeing and noticing is that in some cases, contacting directly the infringing sellers is much more effective um, to yield a fast removal of the infringement. So I definitely would recommend
1: that approach as well. I think... If I am um, to add to that, you know, one one thing that's like interesting about the general trend of um, you know, brand or online brands um launching their own third party marketplace is it's relying on this um idea that you know we've established a name and so you can sell under this name with certainty that this is, you know, a quote unquote authentic product. And so, you know, using using that um mindset is is interesting um because it's trying to essentially establish credibility of a seller um and maybe even conceal the fact that this be, might be a third party seller uh to to the consumers which which is a great guise uh for counterfeiters and other kinds of infringement
0: yeah I I think the latest lawsuit we saw towards Sheehan I think it was right at the end of last year, I think it was the Uniqlo one. Um, and there have been other ones um, yeah, from Doc Martin's owner, from Levi's, from Deckers who make Uggs, Ralph Lauren uh, and a bunch of others. So, yeah, brands certainly need to take care of their own IP on the Shein platform as it gains popularity over the next year. So the next group of trends that we'll be discussing are global policies and legislation. Uh, The first one we'll discuss is, I think, the EU Digital Services Act. Um, This is a pretty huge set of new laws in the EU, which I think, broadly speaking, uh, seek to combat harmful activities and misinformation online. Um, Martina, do you think you could walk us through the DSA?
3: Yeah, sure thing, Ryan. So um, the DSA is already uh, effective for very large online platforms and very large online search engines as well since August last year. But I definitely think we will see the main effects of its implementation this year um, as it will be a- applicable for other entities as well uh, from February onwards. So the main takeaways, I would say, around the DSA and the impact, uh, especially for brand protection, is that it mandates the implementation of proactive and reactive content moderation processes uh, that uh, aim at targeting illegal content. Um, It does include a lot of provision around also uh, content moderation, data transparency, mandating at least uh, one annual transparency report to be shared um, by platforms, basically indicating the details of the complaints they received in terms of volumes, the type of infringements, but also the action they've been taken in that regard. So it's really, really interesting. And I think... Uh, Because the sanctions uh, for DSA infringements can be up to 6% of the global annual turnover, We expect extensive efforts from the platforms um, to really comply to this uh, regulation. So more to come definitely in the next months. And one thing that I would like to flag as well is that we should be seeing uh, an improvement in how streamlined the submission of infringements is. And um, DSA also indicates that for law enforcement agencies and authorities and trusted flaggers, there will be a priority of processing the um, takedown requests.
0: Okay, so this is, I guess, the reactive responsibilities that you mentioned, that when people report, these platforms have a responsibility to actually action uh, the requests, right?
3: That's correct. But there are substantial changes also in requests as to proactive moderation. So, in terms of content moderation controls, so proactive filtering of infringing listings, but also notifications uh, around um, counterfeit sellers or repeat infringing sellers whoever purchased a product from that seller after that, that seller was flagged. So, Um, It mandates quite complex um, tools and and, uh, processes to be implemented, which of course require quite a lot of effort. And um, while larger platforms, of course, do have the resources and expertise to implement this extensive trust and safety uh, moderation implementation, we expect that smaller platforms will lag behind.
0: Okay. Well, let's hope they can catch up as well in time. Uh, So for trend number eight, we'll move over to the United States, where we have the Shop Safe Act. Um, I think as the name suggests, this act is designed to hopefully ensure a safer shopping experience overall online. Uh, But... Could you explain it a bit more detail, please, Martina? Yeah,
3: sure. This is another very interesting proposal. So it has been reintroduced to the U.S. Senate back in September uh, last year, and it could really bring major changes in online marketplaces, anti counterfeiting um, and content moderation if implemented. Um, in a nutshell, um, alongside the INFORM Act, ShopSafe puts a lot of responsibility on the platforms to vet the sellers proactively and to make sure that anything that is unsafe in terms of items is proactively removed. Um, the bill, if passed, will incentivize the platforms to implement a series of moderation controls, and will actually provide them with a safe harbor um, if they were to demonstrate that they took sufficient efforts for vetting the sellers, um, that they implemented policies to discourage repeat infringements uh, from from sellers and counterfeit sellers specifically. And also, um, if they're able to demonstrate that they put in place processes for which a consumer has enough information before um, um, purchasing making a purchase on the platform as to who is the seller. Um, I think for this regulation, it will be very interesting to see if, if passed, what are the effects, especially in specific um, sectors, such as... Uh, pharmaceutical sector or toys food and consumer goods industries which we expect to benefit the most uh from this bill
0: yeah items that if they're counterfeited you know it's not just a threat to brands ip that it's a genuine threat to the health and safety of the people using them. yeah um yeah well fingers crossed the inform act passed last year So hopefully they can get shop safe through as well in 2024. So for our ninth trend, we are moving over to China, where we have a set of revised trademark laws. Uh, The CNIPA, the Chinese National Intellectual Property Administration, has proposed legal changes to better combat misuse of trademarks within China. Uh, Martina, could you give us a closer look?
3: Yeah, so we've seen that the changes to the patent law have been just implemented in China. So everyone is really looking forward to the implementation of the proposed amendments to the trademark law now. And there are, I would say, three main areas really that everyone should be looking forward to, which are uh, first um, the establishing um, of an obligation of use, Uh, for registered trademarks. So basically, uh, the proposed amendment uh, states that a statement of use will be required every five years. Um, Secondly, there will be unannounced protection for well-known trademarks. Um, And this comes in under the form of an anti dilution provision, basically uh, impeding the use and the registration of trademarks um, when... They aim at diluting the distinctiveness, uh, but also tarnish the reputation of well-known trademarks. And then finally, there is a very important piece um, that is around the prohibition of the registration of bad faith trademarks, and this could become um, an independent ground for refusal for trademark applications, which we really look forward uh, to be implemented.
0: Okay, so a generally healthier landscape for trademark law if if this legislation does go through.
2: Martina, we've seen many instances of counter notifications of bad faith, specifically on Chinese marketplaces from trademark squatters, especially with international brands that are scaling into Asia. How do you think the revision will impact this moving forward?
3: Yeah, I, I believe this revision will impact that massively. So platforms like Alibaba um, should be really see a decrease in successful counter notifications uh, from counterfeit sellers that we see uh, being based on a bad faith registration and basically being groundless. So hopefully that piece of uh, law will help them to reject such counter-notifications, and um, remove uh, rapidly the trademark infringements.
0: Okay, fantastic. So our final trend for 2024 is the growing implementation of revenue recovery. So put simply, this is a program that allows brands to reclaim damages directly from the counterfeiters that have been appropriating their IP. So, through a process of collecting data on a counterfeiting network's actions and identities, direct legal action can be taken against them with the potential of pretty huge sums of money returned to the brand itself. Um, Alexis, could you talk about uh, revenue recovery a bit for us?
2: Definitely. Uh, revenue recovery is a measurable and very easy to under- understand demonstration of impact. So, when crafting brand protection strategy, revenue recovery is generally the the ultimate goal to really disrupt networks and reclaim damages.
1: Yeah, and that's to that point. You know, we're not trying to play um, catch up with counterfeiters or with infringers anymore um, in twenty twenty four. You know, we need to be focusing on proactively going after them and and creating tangible. Um, impact that that's permanent and long lasting. And you know, the way to do that is through monetary means. Um, and hopefully, you know, bring back some ROI that that actually shows that and demonstrates that, you know, we're we're cutting into the trunk of a market that that is actively infringing against brands.
3: Yeah, well said, Susie, I think through this program, you can really disrupt the counterfeit products distributions. Um, And what we've seen is that success of revenue recovery programs um, really depends on the expertise, uh, but also on the ability to coordinate the different partners uh, that the brand owners uh, will cooperate with. So first of all, um, we recommend working with data-driven online brand protection providers, Um, who are capable to unveil high-value targets in China and U.S. and in all the uh, applicable jurisdictions. Um, Secondly, of course, being able to cooperate with industry-specific investigators, Um, will enable the brands to validate those targets that have been identified, but also to maximize the impact of the actions taken. Um, For example, um, investigators that would know when the stocks are at the highest are able to calculate the timing when they will perform the rates. Um, So this is really, really important. Lastly, I think uh, being able to rely on law firms that are specialized in revenue recovery programs um, definitely makes a difference because they will be able to um, be aware and apply to your case all the best practices, for example, uh, filing for property preservation during the litigation process. So I think Coordinating all these efforts um, in a timely manner can significantly uh, influence the success of the program.
0: Definitely. And I think that wraps up our final trend for 2024. I'd like to thank everyone for watching. uh, Susie, Alexis and Martina for speaking today.
3: Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks,
1: everyone. Thank you so much.
0: And we'll see you all for the next episode of IP Workshop Live.